I'm Gab. No jewels today. So we get the next best thing. We get the Northern Jewels. It's Mark Ogden. Uh, blue skies over West London, but we have quite a lot going on. Even though it's International Week, we're going to look back at some of the internationals. We'll be talking about what's going on with Spurs. We're a lot of contract issues as well. Rashford, uh, De Gea, a uh, lot of stuff going on. And of course, Lionel Messi's goal scoring record, which I know you have something to talk about. But let's start with. I think probably the biggest upset of this international break. Scotland beating Spain 2-0. It got feisty. It got ill-tempered at the end. And we'll get to that. But for me, fundamentally, this is Spain. We all talked about how how interesting Luis Enrique was and, and whatever, how much talent they have, the football that they can play, but then they don't finish. And then Musa de la Fuente... And he gets his backside handed to him. In terms of result, maybe even more than performance. Yeah, I mean, look back to the World Cup, and I think the game they were knocked out, it was obvious that Spain had regressed quite a bit in terms of the team that had no cutting edge, and it was just the old pass, 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 don't really go anywhere with it. And I think that they, they need to develop that. and need to find a way to find a way to score goals again, I think. And against Scotland, it was very obvious that they lacked a cutting edge. I mean, Hossele up front, he had a couple of good chances, but I just felt that this was the Spain that we all remember from pre-2010 when they were always near misses, you know, they, they always had a little bit of a soft centre and it didn't really, it surprised me that Scotland won, certainly the scoreline, but it didn't surprise me that the way Spain played and the, and the reaction afterwards by certain players, Rodri being one. You're referring to Rodri, tell us what he said. He basically said that Scotland were rubbish, you know, he, he didn't like the way that they played and he was complaining about, he actually used the word rubbish, didn't he, that the, the tactics that they were, you know, a little bit too aggressive, too direct and we've heard this a lot, I mean, I think, you know, Pep Guardiola said it a couple of times when Man City have lost or not beaten teams and you know Rodri said it again after the uh, the Morocco game in the World Cup when he was complaining about the, the way Morocco played so it seems to be a very kind of sour grapes you know we've lost so what can we find as an excuse but he was complaining that Scotland were too aggressive too direct and they didn't play the way we wanted them to play so we could beat them <laughs> I mean I, I don't think you need to you can have an issue with a team being aggressive and direct Uh, So the question is, did they stay within the rules? And obviously that comes down to the referee on the day. Do you think the referee mishandled it? Do you think the referee should have started waving more yellow cards? to? No, I I, I saw the highlights of the game and I I thought that Scotland were physical. I thought they played to their strengths. And that play to their strengths often means being physical and, you know, very basic. But I thought Scotland, there were occasions where Spain let themselves down, certainly for the second goal and trip... uh, Kieran Tierney went down the left and put the cross in. You know, where, where was Danny Carvajal? The, the, the challenge that he made was yeah. just, it was non-existent. Similarly for the first goal when Robertson crossed, I, again, I think it was Pedro Porro slipped. It, just basic mistakes that Spain made. So it, that isn't that Scotland being over-physical, it's just Spain not being very good at what they were doing. Now, um, what I found interesting watching the game is, and this is a broader issue, we can get more into it later, but back in the day, there used to be the stereotype, you know, generally propagated by your people, about, oh, Latin footballers, they're theatrical, they feign injury, blah, 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 they try to win fouls. Um, a bunch of people say, who are unfamiliar with, say, Franny Lee and other old school English people. But there was, I think, some truth to it. What's talking about this game is how, frankly, both teams did it. There, 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 there was one sequence on a corner kick where I think it was Kieran Tierney, I, I, I forget who he was marking, but like three consecutive times, he goes down, he goes down, he goes down. And it's, like, it's obvious there's contact between the two, right? And the referee kept stopping and having a word before the kick goes in and whatever. There's obviously contact between the two, but obviously I can't imagine the Kieran Tierney of yesteryear, let's call him, I don't know, Steve Nichol, 
going down because he thinks he's been fouled. Do, do, do you see what I'm yeah. saying? Like, yeah. There's been this leveling. I mean, this is one stereotype I think we can throw out the window. Well, it's all part of the game, and I'd say it's professionalism. It's, 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 take, it's taking advantage of the little things you can take advantage of. So if somebody's stupid enough to grapple you or you know, be a little bit physical in the box and you go down, yes, you're over-exaggerating the, the contact, but it is, it's taking advantage of somebody's weakness in the sense that they're giving you that opportunity to do it. So it happens in every level of football now. It's not a, a Latin American thing. It's not, it's not restricted to the foreigners, as he would used to say. It's part of the game. It's part of the, the British game as well now. So it's just taking advantage of your opponent's deficiencies. There's a broader point to be made as well. We joke about the Euros and ha ha ha, everybody qualifies. But this specific group is actually a tricky group in the sense that you have four countries who I don't think would look out of place. Now, obviously, Spain, you've got Norway with, with Erling Haaland. Yeah. You've got Georgia, you can say it's just Georgia, but they do have one of the hottest players in the world right now in Kratzkelia, and you have Scotland. Mm -hmm. So I think this win could prove to be really big in the final reckoning. Yeah, I mean, look, I do think Spain will recover and, and win the group. Yeah, there's no question. I'm talking about Scotland here. Yeah, but with, with Scotland, the difficulty they've got is that they've beaten Spain, but... Georgia are capable of beating Scotland and Norway are capable right. of beating Scotland and they're all capable of beating each other. So, Augie, what you're telling me with your scenarios is mm. that we could see Kvaratskhelia, Kvitsa Kvaratskhelia at the Euros in Germany. How cool would that be? And would it still be cool if it comes at the, expenses, uh, at the expense of global superstars like Erling Haaland or Scott McTominay? <laughs> no, listen, I, I think Georgia uh, made this one would be great, you know. But remember, what back in the day, they were the, the team, the, the players that formed the bulk of the Soviet Union team that was a great team in the 80s, so uh, Georgia's got a rich history in football. It would be good. Um, I do think, though, that it is a very tight group, this, in the sense that Georgia, Norway and Scotland... You know, it's a great start by Scotland. You can't knock it, but I do think that they'll find it tougher when they play Norway and Georgia, because they're the games that, that really matter. But they've given themselves a fantastic cushion by beating Spain. But they've almost like put themselves under pressure, haven't they, Scotland? The expectancy will go through the roof that they, having beaten Spain, will qualify. But it's, it's going to be tough because Georgia and Norway are both very good teams and with very good players. Uh, I want to get into a little more about sort of the, uh, the challenges facing these two countries, because weirdly they both face challenges of, ver of a very different nature, right? So Spain... <coughs> You know, I, going into the World Cup, I had Spain as a third or fourth most talented team. Mm. Um, and I stand by that when everybody's fit. And, and we should point out that, you know, he made eight changes from the game at the weekend, De La Fuente. Mm. I think we know why he made eight changes, because this international break, and this is a broader argument, mm. which I think concerns everybody, comes at a very inconvenient mm. time. Um, the big clubs... They've got European competition. They're competing for important stuff in the league. For you to play somebody for 180 minutes and you're a big country, you're kind of taking on a pretty big responsibility. So new guy, he made, he made those eight changes. We saw people, we, we saw Garcia from Osasuna um, starting at the back. Um, that, that whole back four, I think Pedro Porro, I don't know if he'd been capped before. Maybe he had, but like, he played very little. Obviously, we, 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 we saw him. Um, and then Joselu. And the interesting thing with Joselu is all that time that people talked about Spain, like you did, no end product, blah, 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 which is a way of being mean to my boy Alvaro Morata, um, thinking is, oh, just put a proper goal scorer in there. Well, Joselu is 
much more of a proper goal scorer mm-hmm. if you want, and then it doesn't work. No, or I mean, rather, it works. He comes on in the first game, and you know he scores those two goals and whatever. I, for me, you stick with you play to your strengths. If you do not have a guy you're comfortable with as a genuine center forward, don't play him. Yeah, absolutely. You shouldn't be putting a player that's just because he ticks a box in terms of the position. You know, Spain over the years, as we know, they they didn't have a center forward. So they, they played with the false nine. They had great success. You know, by floating players around, and it it was the blueprint for the last ten years of, of the best teams in the world, wasn't it? Just to to float around without a, a defined center forward. And I think, why should Spain? put themselves in that position where they're playing a guy that is probably a, a 5 out of 10 when they could do much better by just using the qualities they've got be, behind that but you know maybe they feel that they need to find something to put the ball on the back of that I mean Murata as we know Murata's got a great record at international level but he does miss a lot of chances but he still takes a few as well exactly because I mean, they create a lot of chances for him and I think this is also where we remind people mm. that you know you can't there's no Pedri, there's no Gavi, mm. right? In, in this game. I mean, there were other players missing as well, but like those two in particular to me stand out about. It, it, it's not that, that, that Mikel Merino was subpar in midfield or whatever, but it just gives you a different dimension. It allows you to do, it allows you to do more things. I think Spain are going to be just fine. I don't blame him for trying to find solutions at the back because when I look at Spain's options, mm. you know. Defensively, looking at all the players that, that they can call up, I'm not sure Pau Torres is better this year than than the, he's necessarily made those um, uh, the, the, those steps forward. I'm a big Gaia guy, fine, put him in the mix. Dani Carvajal isn't getting any younger, and as you mentioned, you know he certainly struggled in this game. Mm. You know Laporte as well. He's he's had an indifferent couple of years at Man City, but you know he's still he's still a very good player. He is, and, and I think that's how you have to approach it if you're De La Fuente. I think De La Fuente is trying to be a little more, obviously, Luis Enrique, eccentric is a nice word to, 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 to use for him, you know, creative genius, whatever, marches to the beat of his own drummer. Here you have, I think, a different, a different context to it. Um, interesting also seeing, you tell me Dani Ceballos starting in this game. Mm. Yeah, he's at Real Madrid, but, and he's gotten more playing time this year, mm. but this is a guy... Who looked like an afterthought? He looked like the ultimate, you know, squad player uh, on a on a big club, and yet he kind of earns his way back in. I think he's trying to keep the door open for a lot of players. It's the start of his reign, isn't it? I mean, he has to experiment. He's, he's two games into his reign as the manager, as a coach, and they've got a tournament in eighteen months. Well, not even eighteen months. It's probably 13, 14 months time. So he has to he has to experiment. I think a lot of the players that you see in these this first couple of games, maybe the June friendlies, will disappear off the radar. But he has to try them. A word on Scotland, um, because obviously seeing McTominay play like that, um, you know, it'll please Manchester United fans, I think, as well. I don't think he's ever really short on confidence when he plays. When he has issues for United, it's probably more about quality. But Mm. on this team, um, you know, quality is not an issue because he is one of the more gifted players on the ball, maybe even after. Unless I'm forgetting somebody other than McGinn, there's maybe... Nobody else, at least in, in midfield and attack, who who's as comfortable. On well, the they've ball. got Billy Gilmore, uh, uh, you know, who has had a great time in the Euros, and obviously his, his career has kind of had a bit of a, a trough since then. But you know, McTominay is a big player for Scotland. He also plays at centre back, he, and he did well there during the Euros. I think uh, maybe it's just a, a sense of when he plays for Scotland, he, he feels like he's a big guy. He's one of the big characters at United. He's never really been that. He's always been the guy from the youth policy, but. I don't really think he's got much of a future at United. I think Ten Hag is looking to different different possibilities. So with Scotland, he, he feels comfortable, he feels wanted, he feels part of the setup. Four One goals in two games, I mean, wow. 
<laughs> yeah, who <laughs> thought? Uh, one of the things is that one of the issues of Scotland face, and it, like I think this applies to pretty much every country outside maybe the top 15, top mm. 20 countries in the world, whether I always make this point about South America, but I think it's true of Scotland too. You have a big variety in terms of talent, right? So you have people like like Andy Robertson, who are playing for big, big clubs, or McTominay, who play for big, big clubs. Um, you have other guys who, you know, maybe are championship caliber uh, players. Mm. You have to bring them together, but you also have the luxury that, because there's not a big pool of players, it almost feels like a club team, in the sense the same guys come back yeah. over and over. If you look at the number of players that Southgate or, 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 or Brazil have called up, or Italy even more so, right? There's a big turnover. There's a lot of options, you know. Um, there's something to be said, I think, for that kind of team unity that we get to see at this level. And it is something you can parlay into at least qualifying for tournaments. Yeah. And then once you're there, anything can happen, right? That, that, was, that was a success of Wales. You know, for, for maybe three tournaments, that, that Wales had that great club spirit. They had, they had a, a massive guff. They had a, a superstar in Gareth Bale, a, a kind of a star in Aaron Ramsey, and the rest were very much kind of the, the, the players that would just make sure that these guys could do their job. Now Scotland don't have a Gareth Bale. They probably don't even have an Aaron Ramsey, but their best <laughs> their best players are left backs basically. But it is important that if, if you get a player like Bale or a big star, that the the rest of the group are prepared to make sacrifices to make it work, and that is why Wales are successful. Scotland can be in, in a similar vein, but I do think that they lack that ultimate quality that Wales had, and if you're going to be that, that kind of club side, maybe like the George is the same with Boris Scalia. If you have a superstar in your team, you have to make sure that the players beneath that are capable of delivering for that superstar. When you don't have a superstar like Scotland don't, I think there's a bit more to it. There's a bit, there's I, the manager's a big part of it as well. Steve Clark, he, he has to be very, very kind of cute in terms of tactics and knowledge of the game. And I think he is, to be fair. I, I think that's also possibly why I generally get the the impression that outside of big tournaments, the I say this the nicest possible way, maybe the second tier of countries, and again, not just in Europe mm. with countries like Scotland or the Czech Republic or, mm. or whatnot, but also in, in South America, you know, once you get to countries like Paraguay, like Peru, Paraguay, yeah. I think people are much, much more excited for the internationals and they're far more mm -hmm. into it because when it comes to the bigger European nations, you know, the squad rotates, it changes all the time, mm. you know, until you get to the tournament and then they zero in, right? And it just feels like, like less of a big deal. And I think it is special to see your superstar come back mm -hmm. and play for his country, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I think it's something, it's just one of the reasons I actually, like, did I enjoy this international break? Would I, I enjoyed a break from <laughs> football all hours of the day and night. And now we've got this long stretch through to the Champions League mm -hmm. final. I enjoyed that part of it. Mm -hmm. Um Football-wise, people complain about, oh, there's nothing going on. It's like, no, there is stuff going on. It's just different. Hmm. But I think this is one of the things that makes international football special. Not special to us or from big countries, but special, in my case, countries that don't qualify for the World Cup anymore. <laughs> but, um, but, but it's so, so many people around the world, and yeah. it means something. And that's why it bugs the crap out of me, all those, like, you know, Super league wannabe types and say international football's dead, blah, blah, blah. No, it's obviously not dead. We saw it at the World Cup. We see it every, every time at the World Cup. Mm. Qualifi international qualification isn't great. Um, yeah, in I mean, Europe, it's much better elsewhere. Um, see, all, the, all these countries that you mentioned have got, have got a great football heritage. They just don't have the depth to be able to sustain it every two to four years. So, you know, it, it is good to see 
Georgia have a resurgence. It'd be great to see Romania and Bulgaria because they've produced some fantastic players over the years. But right now they're both in in situation where they're not producing the great players and they're not competing to qualify for tournaments. But their waves come and go. Scotland's wave has been <laughs> the sea's been out for quite a long time with Scotland. But I mean, you know they, they, they've got a big Doug Leash law, but play, play, all these great players of the past. They have a heritage which the the current fans want to see reborn. Yeah, that's why I think going forward. I mean, I'm a proponent. I thought I think the Nations League was good and mm. reducing European qualifiers. Mm. I think the way forward, also for these teams to improve, and not it's not the case with Scotland, more opportunities to play against teams that they can beat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having seen Malta and Gibraltar, if you're just putting like ten people in the area, hoping that you lose two nil instead of mm. five nil, you're not really progressing as a country. So I think the Nations League been, has mm-hmm. been a positive. I don't know, would we want to have some format where the Nations League, you know, replaces major tournament qualifying? How would that work? I don't know. That's a question about my pay grade. It's something that I think people need to uh, think about a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you get games like this, and I think this is going to be probably Scotland's biggest win since they beat France yeah, f- ago. 15, 20 years ago. Exactly. So, so you know. enjoy it. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million dollar stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify is your no-excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash gabjewels, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash G-A-B-J-U-L-S now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash gabjewels. All right, enough Scotland and Spain. How about some quick hits instead? With Jules away, we sent you to watch France away to the Republic of Ireland in Dublin. Augie, any reason to be concerned that it took a Benjamin Pavard wonder strike and more magic from the magical magic Mike Mignan to get the three points? I was a bit surprised that France laboured. I must admit, I went there thinking that France would win comfortably, having put four past the Dutch. So it, it was definitely a surprise. And, you know, Ireland were committed probably limited but they they really nearly at the end got that got that point with that, that magic save from, from Mannion it was an amazing save two magic saves well, two, I think, yeah. at the end because yeah. he is magic Mike and I, I it's for not I love the way he plays in goal I, I feel a little I'm, I'm not a Pavard fan but he's he's done this so many times yeah. now with his wonder goals that you know maybe. no listen I, I think Pavard's decent I think he, he has the attacking qualities that everyone raised about with Alexander-Arnold but he has the defensive qualities that other players okay. got I cannot believe you just put Pavard and Alexander-Arnold in the same sentence Pavard no. is a centre-back masquerading as a right-back no he plays the right-back a lot yeah, uh, but no I know but but in terms of attacking qualities he's I, I, like, I, I give you he scores those goals but still anyway yeah, so Argentina's post-World Cup celebrations continue with a, a 7-0 demolition of Curaçao, ranked 86 in the world. Yeah. 
Messi got a hat trick, takes his record to 102. You know, that's not far from Ronaldo. 20? Uh, yes, uh, he is 20 behind Cristiano, which mm. may explain why Cristiano will continue, uh, at least until Messi retires. Uh, he's seven behind Ali Dai. These are big numbers, and you can say, oh, just Curacao, whatever else, and I'm, I'm sure you probably will. I don't think you need much to read into this. This, this was their celebratory tour. Um, enjoy it. Deserve it. Whatever else. Don't obsess over goal records. <laughs> and in fact, we were having this conversation before, and um, we talked about international goal-scoring records, and you turned into grumpy old man then. I'm assuming you're going to turn into grumpy old man now. Yeah, now, listen, you cannot take away the numbers. The numbers are amazing, but I've got an issue now about these records are being broken increasingly often. Is, is that because the strikers are better, or is it because the, they're basically taking more penalties? Now, or is it because the guys who are breaking the records are two of the greatest players in the history no, of the game? This is, it goes beyond it. It goes beyond Ronaldo and Messi. We're talking about you know Lewandowski's got a record with Poland. You've got Harry Kane, his record with England. Now Messi has got 24 of his goals from penalties. Ronaldo, 18. So that's a fair chunk in, in terms of the penalty. Harry Kane, of his 55 England goals, 18 have been penalties. Now. It looks like the days have gone where players from all over the pitch take penalties. It's not just the strikers. The strikers grab the ball like they can in the playground. I want this penalty, I'm taking but it. But I'm assuming the manager makes them take the penalties because they're better at it, no? Mm, I don't know. Mm. You hear all sorts of goal bonuses these days, certainly at club level anyway. But please, Michael Owen scored one penalty for England. So if you, take, if, you, if you have open play records, Michael Owen would have scored more goals for England than Harry Kane. Now... Harry Kane is the record goal scorer. Fantastic, great. Ronaldo is the best scorer in the world, all this sort of thing. But I do think that we have stats for everything nowadays, for assists, for passes. Why don't we separate goals from open play goals, penalty goals, just to see who is the, the striker that when you need a goal in the 85th minute, it's not a penalty, we'll put the ball in the back of the net for you. I actually think it's a semi-reasonable suggestion, and I, I, I invite FIFA to create a new category simply called open play goals. So back to Messi, the Curacao goalkeeper got to swap shirts with him and he says he won't ever take off the Messi shirt, not even to sleep. Too much, uh, too much for you, Gab, I think? I, look, it's sweet. Now, when I first saw this story, I have to admit, I didn't know who the Curacao goalkeeper was because um, you know, I watched the highlights and it's like some dude I've never heard of. And it still is some dude I've never heard of. Uh, my first thing was Messi's little. This guy's big, right? Uh, how is he even going to put on the Messi shirt? without presumably breaking it, right? Incredible Hulk. Yeah, this guy's got like a barrel chest, right? But also, it's interesting, because this guy, he's not some schlub, no-name schlemiel. He's, his name is Eloy Room. I did my research on this. He uh, plays for the Columbus crew in MLS. He, he actually started some games for uh, PSV in the Eredivisie. He played a bunch of years. He was the number one uh, goalkeeper at Vitesse Arnhem in the, in the Dutch top flight for, for a number of years. So he's a legit professional, right? He could be playing in a top 10 European league right now, no mm -hmm. question asked. And I think it's kind of neat that you have a grown man, he's 34 years old, and he becomes childlike over Messi. And that's, there's something sweet about that. Are you going to tell me it's rubbish? No, no, listen. Messi is, is an icon of the game, isn't he? Of course. I mean, it's like players now, 34 years on, had Maradona shirts and sell them for £5 million at, at auctions. So why not keep a Messi shirt? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure Steve Hodge did not sleep in that Messi shirt back in the day. They sleep in the money. <laughs> Fabio Paratici's two-and-a-half-year ban from the Italian FA for his role in a false accounting scandal while uh, he was at Juventus has been extended worldwide uh, by FIFA. But 
Augie, this is not a surprise. We knew this was going to happen. Bans always get extended. Uh, but Spurs aren't happy at the way this was communicated to them. No, they feel that FIFA should have communicated it to them before they communicated it to the media. Now, Or at least communicated to Fabio Paratici. Well, the, the, yeah, that's the issue. That It should have been to Paratici first because he's the guy that Or Paratici, as we call him. Okay, well, I'll, uh, I'll go with the open pronunciation. Okay, don't, try get, don't try, try to trip right, up and <laughs> <on> TV. <laughs> but it should have been, the person who's being banned should be told first and then... I guess his employers. He right. should tell us. It's not a FIFA's duty to tell his employers, but I suppose it's 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 the it's Paratici's, uh duty to tell his employers. But yeah, it it wasn't handled very well. You don't want to no. find out on Twitter or on a statement I, that's been. Emailed. I also think like people are making a huge deal out of this and stuff. I have a hunch that this ban is going to be overturned uh, on April nineteenth when Juve's appeal is heard. Now that said, mm. you could be in a lot of trouble for other things down the road. But this specific thing. I, I think there's a good chance. I think you feel pretty confident it's going to be overturned. Yeah, well, sticking with Spurs and uh, Paratici, uh, just a few, <laughs> just Spurs before that, they had him post a video to social media calling for calm and unity. How did that go down? This is really weird to me. And um, so this is on Spurs's, this came out on Spurs' official social mm. media. So I'm pretty sure it's not a case that Paratici said, oh, after not really speaking in public, mm for nine months, I better come out now and take a stand. I think Very this odd. is something that the club would have done. Yeah. If you're going to do this too, which is, oh, let me make it seem organic. Well, one thing, Fabio, um, I'm, I'm going to message him about this. Like, When you do the video, don't hold your camera down here because then it looks like it goes up your nose and it's like half dark and stuff. I, he said what you expect him to say. Mm. I, I wish there was an environment where sporting directors were encouraged to speak out more openly uh, and more freely during the year. Mm. So people know what's going on so they kind of get the club view and whatever um it's helpful obviously the fact that then he gets you know news of the band comes through just, i think the only thing that's going to get it's going to get tottenham out of this is results it's just weird timing wasn't it you know it's very strange timing very really strange. odd timing and yeah and also spurs buying one of those like round like instagram cameras and stuff so you <laughs> don't you get proper lighting when you do that oh yeah Thomas Tuchel got to work this week at Bayern Munich ahead of a huge run of games, Augie. They're one point behind Borussia Dortmund in the Bundesliga. They face them on Saturday. Then on Tuesday, it's Freiburg in the Cup, followed by Freiburg in the League. And then City home and away in the Champions League. Jules and I have weighed in abundantly on this. How do you see it? I think this will be a big bonus for Bayern Munich. I, I think that the players, as we know, never really bought into Nagelsmann. It wasn't a case of him losing the dressing room, never had it in the first place. I think Tuchel, they come in and see a guy... Why are you saying? Big players because want big coaches. They want, they want guys who they can look across who have got authenticity, have won things, have done things. Tuchel has that. And Tuchel will just give them some leadership. And I think also they know that he's got ability to beat Pep Guardiola in the, in the Champions League. So that, that might be a big decision why Bayern brought him in. I think Bayern at this point will kick on because they've got a guy they trust. And I, We know that Tuchel can be quite divisive and quite abrupt. Mm -hmm. But I, I think Bayern have got a definite upgrade. Uh, yeah, I, I think he's not going to have time to work on anything tactically. I mean, he only had started work on Monday and half the players weren't there. So I think he needs to work on the emotional side of the game, get them together mentally. Again, this idea that, oh, we lost the dressing room uh, is I, uh, is absolute nonsense. I think we, more accurately, you have a divided dressing room, right? Joshua mm. Kimmich has come out strongly in favor of him. We know Kimmich is close to him. Kimmich is the most important player at Bayern. Second most important player in my, Bayern, my view, is or should be Jamal Musiala, mm. who hasn't said anything, but we know that he was uh, he was happy with Nagelsmann. Goretzka is also coming out in favor of him, uh, as has Matthijs de Ligt. So 
what you're talking about is older, malcontented players or players who kind of been screw-ups their entire careers, despite being very talented. Mm. And you know who I'm talking about. I still think it's a better move. But anyway, uh, now I can't believe we're asking this about Nagelsmann's girlfriend who has left her job at Built uh, to join BMW. What do you think of this? So uh, the only reason this is interesting was because one of the reasons that was given is like, oh, you know, Nagelsmann's girlfriend, who, you know, they, they, I think they're buying a place together. This is a serious relationship. Mm. Um, she worked for a tabloid newspaper, right? Well, leaving aside the fact that Tuchel's longtime partner, now they're no longer together, also worked in the media for a long time, but doesn't seem to be an issue with Tuchel. It's not like she quit her job from one day to the next and got a job at BMW. So clearly this is something that was in the offing. I think it's kind of funny that people in the media bring this up as a reason to cast shade on, on Nagelsmann and, and this woman um, when in fact she's moving on from her job. I wonder if she'd moved on in December. Might Nagelsmann still, Nagelsmann still be there? Well, exciting times for both of them. They've both got new jobs, possibly. Marcus Rashford took to social media to deny reports that he's seeking to double his salary to a whopping £25 million a year. So what I learned, too, is that Rashford follows those United uh, aggregator Twitter accounts. Or <laughs> uh, his people do. Or his, pe- no, no, his, his people obviously do. Augie, his deal is up in 2024. Uh, he may not double his wages, but he'll get a nice bump, right? Oh, yeah, I mean... Yeah, of course you will. If he stays at Man United, he'll get a bump wherever he goes. If it's at PSG, at Man United, at Real Madrid, wherever. But he's in a really strong position, Marcus Rashford, because a year to go in his contract, he's had a great season on the back of a very bad season. You know, not not so long ago, Rashford's future at the club was in doubt because he hadn't kicked on. So he can now pretty much name his price and decide where he wants to go. So the difficulty he's got is knowing who he's dealing with because we don't know who's going to own the club in the summer, whether it's going to be the Glazers, whether it's going to be somebody else. And, you know, from, from Man United's point of view, they need some certainty in terms of the ownership and the management structure to know uh, whether they can keep their players and bring new players in. Okay, I, I have strong views on this. I don't think you mess around with this. You're from Manchester. Mm-hmm. You love the club. Sure, the owners may change or whatever. You're on a purple patch right now. This is a good time to extend your contract. These other clubs that you've been linked with, PSG, oh, look, you know, this is... This is uh, a tire fire mm-hmm. of a football club. This is not a good place for Marcus Rashford to go. Real Madrid, when we know that you know they've got Mbappe in, in the back of their minds and stuff, uh, I know you might want to challenge yourself at some point, but if you're happy there, if you're happy that Ten Hag's there, if you're happy with the football you're playing, mm. um, sign a new deal. Absolutely. Sign a new deal. Easy ads. You don't need to go and wait to see who the owner is, as I see it. Yeah, my only issue with that response to that tweet was that if it was Marcus Rashid himself, fine, but we never know whether it's him or his, his admin or his agent, so let, that, that, that is an important factor we have to kind of mention in that, I think. So Mason, Mason Mount is also looking for a new deal at Chelsea. Um, we know that Chelsea have got a few issues in terms of uh, contracts and maybe moving players on in the summer. Bayern Munich, now that Tuchel's there, have emerged as a potential destination. What do you think of that? Yeah, the idea is obviously Mount played some of his best football uh, under Tuchel. Um, if you can get him on a free in 12 months, mm. sure. I don't see Bayern spending a ton of money for a guy who plays a position where they already have Jamal Musiala. Mm. Um, so to me, it would make very little sense. I don't think Tuchel's in a position to make demands of the club either uh, after, what, like a week in charge. So I think this is just one of those situations where clubs are monitoring to see if there's an opening later on. And it could also be a sense that Mason Mount has very active people. Uh, well, he just changed agents, didn't he? S- suggesting so, that, I mean, he's, yeah. he's now been linked with Man United, Liverpool, Man City, and Bayern Munich in the space of a month, so. It's not too bad. Pretty, pretty decent. Good work.
More contracts, more United. David De Gea's deal is also approaching the end, and negotiations aren't going well, Augie. Well, I mean, I think in, compared to Rashford, De Gea's in a very weak position because he knows that if he wants to stay at Man United, he's going to take a big pay cut. He's the, I think he's the highest paid player at the moment. So United are going to have to kind of just say to him, look, take it or leave it. And De Gea's got to decide whether he wants to take a cut or they get a decent keeper, a, a different keeper, I should say. I mean, I don't know there's a big market for De Gea out there. So Ansu Fati's father, Borit, spoke out and said that he is unhappy with his son's playing time at Barcelona. So what do you think of this? I think it's natural that he would come up and that he would be unhappy with, with the playing time. Um, obviously, Ansu Fati, a phenom when he came up, the next Messi, blah, 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 suffered those really, really bad injuries. But, and he's had a few setbacks since then, but he's been fit and he's been, he's been training and he's been playing um, for a long time. And you can even see, even from the start, when Barcelona, despite their financial situation, you know, when they, mm. they extended Usman Dembele, they brought in Rafinha, they brought in Ferran Torres, you know, clearly Xavi wants wingers and mm. wants people who play in Ansu Fati's position. He's played a little bit at center forward, too, that didn't quite work out. Um, and especially now, with the run that they've been on, they've had the success with, with Gavi playing in that as sort of the, the false winger. I don't know if that's a thing, but it's essentially, essentially they're playing 4-4-2 now, mm -hmm. right? So there's even one less spot in the lineup for Ansu Fati. And, and it's tough for him. You know, he switched agents to George Mendes. He had a whole contractual issue, which is, I believe, is resolved now. Um, but if he switches to Mendes, does that mean he's just thinking, I'm going to get away, I'm going to try to find a move? Because Mendes is the sort of agent that will get him a move. Well, the difficulty, though, if you're Barcelona, is do you want him to move? Because... Obviously, we know their financial situation, yeah. right? So you have to monetize. But fit, productive Ansu Fati mm. is worth a ton of money. Question mark Ansu Fati, where you wonder, is he going to become the next Bojan Kirkic? Not so much. Mm. So you kind of want, you want to build Ansu Fati back to where he can be, and then think of it, and then if he doesn't fit in your plans, you move him. And right now, I, th I just think he's really struggling. I think mm. his age clearly doesn't, doesn't work for him. Um, so what do you do with him? Do you loan him out, or do you, or do you just, you know, how do you resolve it? I think if you're Bar Barca, you you sit down with him and you say, look, and you have a frank com uh, you have a frank conversation. Mm. You say, look, we're getting these results with Gavi with this formation. Mm. Um, Gavi's not going anywhere. Our midfielders are all gonna, you know, Busquets is gonna be a year older, but you know, they're all gonna get come back next year. I may try a four three three. There may be more room for you, but right now in a hierarchy of wingers, left and right combined, you know, I think quite clearly it goes Dembele, Rafinha, and then Ansu, you know, and some might even put Ferran Torres ahead of him. So that's, that's a difficult position he's in. Manchester City may be under investigation by the Premier League, but there are plans afoot for a £300 million investment. It's nearly $400 million uh, in the Etihad complex. It would include a museum, a hotel, Increase capacity to 60,000. Uh, Augie, you're from that part of the mm. world. Um, Manchester City don't seem worried at all. No, it's a bit of a building site now. There's a, there's a big arena going up as well. There's going to be a, a, a big new arena at the Etihad, which is less than a mile maybe from the, the old arena, the AO arena. So we're going to have two really big arenas in Manchester. I'm not sure why. The other one being the Manchester Evening News Arena? It's now called the AO arena. Oh, uh, is it? Oh. Yeah, so AO. There you go. What does AO stand for? I don't know. 
Uh, it's, okay. not, it's not working, is it? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Man City have uh, certainly put a lot of money into that part of Manchester off the pitch, so they don't seem that concerned about the future on the pitch. I mean, to be fair, all this spending in infrastructure, it doesn't, it does not, doesn't come off the club's bottom line in terms of mm. financial fair play and, and the, the the profit and sustainability rules, the stuff that they're being investigated in, right? It's obviously just stuff that I presume they think adds value, gives them more clout in in. The city of Manchester. Um, well, people mock the, the club for not being able to fill the stadium and this empty seats. Yeah, I thought but, you were going to troll no, 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 them for that. What no, do they need 60,000 no, seats for? I'm, yuck, I'm not, yuck, yuck. I'm not trying to fill I think you, you grow the stadium and you grow the fan base. So have a bigger stadium because, you know, why not? Why, why limit yourself to a stadium that right now might not be big enough, but it will be if they keep winning things. So. Can you give some context on this for people who don't know? Like, given that you're there locally, mm. right? Because you see this on social media and stuff, right? Manchester City, relative to other clubs, have low ticket prices. Yeah. And people joke that they have trouble filling the stadium, even though... Well, yeah. Is it true? I mean, because Manchester City, there were a lot of Manchester City fans in Manchester before... Look, the, the situation... The guys came over. Yeah, I mean, they, they fill pretty much every Premier League fixture right. so they sell out every game yeah and we know that Just back about. in the day when they were in the, the third tier that they would sell out main road and that they've had this real loyal fan base over the years but by and large man city's fan base is rooted within the m60 which is the ring road around manchester the a very much a localized fan base right whereas um, most manchester united fans are come from norway and surrey yeah, as the joke goes yeah, no right? but seriously united are for the global teams that you can right. go anywhere in the world and find a man united fan man city it's different the man city fan base is also based in some of the more deprived areas of the city so wages are quite low and if, if people are working that is so it's very hard for city fans and any other football fan right now to pay the ticket prices to watch the volume of games that they're having to watch you know that man city play city do play a ton of games play, every year they play a lot of games because they go deep in competitions because yeah, they're a good team which means two or three trips to wembley every year which is expensive as well so you know man city fans all football fans have to kind of justify the expense of tickets but i think man city fans because it's a smaller pool of fans, a hardcore of loyal fans. I'm not having a criticism at City. There's a smaller pool of fans, so their resources are being strained more and more and more. And if, if those fans, they're not Chelsea fans who come from affluent parts of London or Surrey, that these guys, and, and you know, and women as well, they have to find justification for the ticket prices, and they make real efforts. And I, you know, my, my lad will go to City games in the Champions League. It's a fiver for kids, five, right. which is really good. You know, so at least they're making the efforts to fill the stadium. They shouldn't be criticised for that. If you're offering Champions League tickets for five pound, that's brilliant. Yeah, and I think there's also an element that, while obviously City's fan base has grown globally, although it's always hard to quantify, you don't get necessarily the phenomenon. And maybe it's in parts of the world where mm. maybe it's like it's not in Europe where people can come to Manchester for a weekend because mm. I know that happens a lot at Old Trafford. For, I know it happens at Arsenal, yeah. at Chelsea. People coming to town for the weekend to watch a game yeah. um, maybe with Manchester City it, it doesn't happen as much as well yeah nostalgia sells more than anything and Man City haven't got that nostalgia base just yet but you know it'll, it'll grow we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with Indeed if you need to hire you need Indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use Indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Gab. Just go to Indeed.com slash Gab right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Gab. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So more Barca, according to El Mundo Deportivo, Bolton have joined fourth tier club uh, Union Adave in demanding compensation from Barcelona over the signing of Marcos Alonso. Now, Alonso was at Bolton over 10 years ago, so explain this one. Well, basically, um, according to FIFA rules, uh, every time a player moves for a transfer fee, um, you get training compensation. You're, you're entitled, uh, if, if you sign a player, um, you're entitled to some small percentage of... The, the transfer fee. I mean, in the case of Union and Dive, I think they're asking for 100,000 euros, something like that. Um, it's a way to recompense the smaller clubs. Mm-hmm. What often happens is when players go from smaller clubs to bigger clubs, they sign a contract where the bigger club will essentially buy out their rights to claim future mm-hmm. co- training compensation. Um, that obviously, it didn't, and that's pretty customary now mm-hmm. in, in many cases, not all cases. Obviously, it didn't happen with Marcos Alonso. What I'm not clear on, because the story is kind of clear as mud, but I think the allegation is that Marcos Alonso's transfer wasn't entirely a free transfer mm. in the sense that, yes, he was a free agent, mm. but Chelsea took a free agent from Barcelona, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who went the other way. Mm-hmm. And so, in reality, I think they're trying to construct an argument where saying, well, they did get something mm for Marcos Alonso, so we should be entitled to some level of, of compensation. You know, there was an expense to it. I, I don't know, this seems pretty flimsy to me, mm. but it's always, it's always funny how people forget the whole training compensation angle. Holland beat Gibraltar 3-0 despite playing nearly 40 minutes with an extra man. Augie, if Jules were here, he'd blame Ronald Koeman and call him the Dutch guy. Are you going to be as mean as he often is? Well, no, because I, th- I think with Koeman, it's, it's just like with Van Gaal, you know, it's the players that the they're Dutch have got. They're playing Gibraltar. Yeah, I know they're playing Gibraltar. They, they had they about win. 50 chances. They could, have won, they could have won 20 nil if they'd taken some of the chances. But, you know, the Netherlands are limited at the minute. You know, if Van Vegas, who is a, a very honest trier, is your centre-forward, then you're not going to, you know, pull up many trees. Ruud Holley absolutely tore him a new one, saying he's not good enough. Well, he's not. He isn't. And it, you look, I mean, look at the legacy of Dutch centre-forwards. They haven't got one. They haven't got a Van Persie, a Van Nistelrooy, a, a Bergkamp, a Van Basten. I mean, can go on. A Cliver. They haven't got them. Vegas isn't in the same league, but it's not just down to him. I just don't think the Dutch have got the players, but you know they should have. Know, they I should have hammered like Gibraltar, but they could have hammered Gibraltar. Okay, so this is the problem with these games, right? This is what I was talking about earlier, right? Yeah. You you play Gibraltar. They put eight people mm. like inside the six yard box. No matter how good you are, it's difficult because it's hard to get the ball through bodies. Mm. Now, normally what happens is you score one goal, you score two goals, then they come out and try to play, then you got more space and you score more goals. Some of these teams are just happy to just sit back. But that red card, by the way, totally nasty and unnecessary, yeah? Oh, it's a terrible tackle. But that, for me, is why the teams like Gibraltar should not be in these qualifiers. That the, the players are at the level to play against elite players. So Gibraltar, San Marino, Andorra, these, I'd put these in a pre-qualifying group, like they do in certain parts of the world, in Africa, in, in Asia, where they have the lowest-ranked teams have to filter out, and then they join, you know, Team X could mm. join a group. They, they shouldn't be... Uh, this. That's what we're talking about. And they, they don't improve this way. Gibraltar does not improve playing Holland in any way, shape, or form. No. So FIFA have let it be known that they've yet to make a decision on whether uh, rainbow armbands will be allowed at the Women's World Cup in Australia, which... Gab, this story doesn't go away. 
Yeah, obviously this first came out uh, back in Cutter. Um, look, I I had to go at all those FAs who you know warn them, and then they says, "Oh, you'll get a yellow card mm-hmm. if you." And then they're like, "Oh no, we better not do it because they'd miss up our tournament." Yeah, despite pathetic. our twenty-six match, I mean that is absolutely pathetic. Yeah, it right? was pathetic. If you make a stand, it's got to cost you something. Otherwise, yeah. it doesn't. It, it doesn't mean anything. Um, I think the landscape here is completely different. Mm-hmm. I think the attitude towards the LGBTQ community and, and inclusivity in Australia is hundred percent different mm-hmm. from from what it is in in Qatar, obviously. But more importantly, there's a different constituency. Um, as far as I know, well, in fact, not as far as I know, I know that there were exactly zero openly gay uh, players mm. in the Men's World Cup. Um, we know the environment in the women's game at the highest level is very, very different. Uh, I don't know what the percentages are, but I'd be shocked if it wasn't at least a quarter of the players who are openly gay. Uh, and many of them are very, very vocal, and rightly so. So for you to tell people at this World Cup, which ultimately World Cup is ultimately... Mm distill it it's about the players it's about women athletes playing Mm. um if they were angry about saudi arabia's potential sponsorship they're going to be even angrier over this and also their success with that because the visit saudi thing isn't happening at the world cup now so the the women's voice has been heard you know it's been listened to and they've come together and made sure it it works and i i I think i I don't know this for definite but i think if it gets to the world cup and fifa haven't made a decision i think the women will be a lot stronger than the men and they will wear them i think they'll go for it i think that they will not be as concerned about the consequences but it was weak and pathetic at the world cup all all these big nations are making all these you know social media posts and you know like when Wembley lights up the the arch in a red they all crap themselves yeah. because you know Don't, oh Harry Kane might get a booking yeah I mean, stop sending on. Instagram posts of the, the arch being lit up in rainbow colours it, it, it doesn't mean anything when you're, you're making you're making a weak stand when it really matters at the World Cup the head of the Premier League your buddy Richard Masters faced a parliamentary inquiry and was asked if Saudi Arabia's ownership of Newcastle was being investigated uh, so I said parliamentary inquiry I think it's something called the Depart- Department of Culture Media and Sport DCMS um this is what he said. I, I, I just, well, I just, I'll get you, I'm just going to read his quote. He says, I'm afraid I can't really comment on it, even to the point of saying, is the Premier League investigating it? I can't really comment. Are you okay with that? Should you give answers? Should there be some level of transparency? Yeah, there should. Why is it such a big deal? Why is it so secret? I mean, they are that. You know why? Because there's lawyers. There's lawyers. Well, there's up lawyers. There's my least favorite people in the world. There's lawyers all oh, around them uh, saying, "Oh no, masters, uh, you can't comment. Don't just don't say anything. Pretend you lost your voice." And there's also government. I won't say interference, but government involvement at some level of this because 100. percent As we know, we know this. Saudi Arabia is a very big trade. Previous partner, prime minister, and, yeah, an ally of the UK. Now, during the initial Newcastle uh, takeover, when this was shelved, shall we say, that a freedom of information request found that the government did have. Certainly, uh, people liaising between the Premier League and the Saudis to make sure this happened eventually, because it was it was bad for the UK government, UK PLC, not to have Saudi Arabia buying a football club. Which is, you know, the bigger picture is football is a big deal, but politics, real politics, this is what it's all about, and it's not about whether it's right from a football perspective. Uh, what, what bugs me here is basically he's saying like, oh look, well if we are investigating them, I can't tell you double secret probation, like from Animal House, that kind of stuff. And he says, and then if we if we do you know, charge them, then we'll make a panel or whatever, then you'll find out. I don't think that's good enough. I think Newcastle, for better or worse, are one of the 20 Premier League clubs. They are Richard Masters' boss indirectly, Mm -hmm. right? They have a right to know if this is being investigated. Uh, I I, I imagine Newcastle do know, surely, that if they're being investigated, surely they would have to 
provide some sort of evidence. I'm sure that they would know if they were being investigated. They, you can't be investigated and not. not I, I think they. I think they're going over the evidence. If they are investigating, they can just go over the evidence that they submitted for the bid, and paying a whole bunch of lawyers three grand an hour yeah. to go and give opinions on stuff that's already been decided. I'd be amazed if anything changed at the end of this. If, I'd be, I don't think so either. I'd but be I, I think. I, I don't think it's fair to Richard Masters either that he's be made to look ridiculous. No. And be like, oh, I can't even say no comment. No. I just can't, you know, come on, man. I think he accepts that ridiculous part of it as well. So the Times reporting that Chelsea and Todd Bowley face serious resistance from fans and maybe local residents as well if they move from Stamford Bridge to a new stadium. Please explain why the fans have a say when they don't even own the club. Well, the funny thing is, in the specific case of Chelsea, mm. um, back in the... Late 80s, there was uh, early 80s, early 90s, there was a situation where the club were, were going bankrupt mm. and sort of developers were going to take over the club. The club is in a, is in a quite high value part of London in terms of, uh, in terms of real estate. And so a company was formed called Chelsea Pitch Owners who basically raised money, fans contributed money, bailed them out. They got the, uh, they got the leasehold, or they got, sorry, they got the, they owned the freehold to the ground and essentially they can block any move away to a different ground. They can block it, basically, if any football club moves from Chelsea, moves from Stamford Bridge to somewhere else, if fo the, the football club that Bowley owns can't be called Chelsea. It, without their consent, he can't call it Chelsea Football Club. Yeah. You can call it Bowley FC, I don't know, call it something else, right? Um, so this gives them a lot of power. Now, they want to expand the club because there's only, I think it's under 42,000 uh, fans in the stadium and it's more lucrative to, mm. to, have, uh, to have bigger stadiums, better facilities, whatever else. The really difficult thing that they have is they have a lot of wealthy, powerful people who live all around, uh, all around the club. And so it's difficult to expand it to the level that they want to. So they, they have different, they have planning permission for something where I think they might reverse the pitch or whatever. But it's still expensive. It's disruptive. It would mean that for, if they do the work there, it would mean that for three or four years, they'd have to go play somewhere else. Mm. You know, there's been talk of, of Twickenham, where the, the rugby, uh, England rugby play, is far away. There's talk of Wembley, which I don't think anybody would be excited mm. about. Um, the... It could ground share with Fulham, but that's a little teeny tiny stadium, and they mm. probably don't want to do that. Or QPR, yeah. that's another not very Brentford advanced. Yeah, Brentford down. Now, yeah. now you're taking the mick. So it's um, I I just think it's a tricky situation to be in. I personally like the fact though that Chelsea pitch owners exist, mm. and there's a group of fans that have a right to say, uh uh, but are they not, not moving this club? Are they not now? maybe holding the club back in the sense that I understand their link to the club and their desire to, to stay there, but if the, the ground isn't big enough to monetize the club as Bowley wants to, are they not holding the club back by being unrealistic in the sense that the club needs to grow? It's, it's outgrown what it was in the 1980s, certainly. Bowley knew yeah. what the club was when he and the other people bought it. He knew that these people, he knew that it mattered to these people. And I think at every club, there's a hardcore of fans who care about the club and don't just care about winning and results and whatever. The club means something uh, to them and, and their local community. Women's Champions League action last night, Augie. Barcelona trounced Roma 5-1 after winning the first leg 1-0 and Arsenal beat Bayern 2-0 also overturning their first leg deficit when they lost 1-0 in Munich. 
Yeah, it could be an Arsenal Chelsea final in the Champions League this season, the way it's going. Uh, we don't know that yet, but that's where. Hey, little England dirt. Well, you I know, some respect for Barcelona. Thank you. Yeah, but I'm just just making the point. I, I think Arsenal's success is, is is even greater considering that Beth Mead is out and you know may miss the World Cup with a, a crucial ligament. And Vivian Miedema um, too. Yeah, I mean, just just talk about Beth Mead. The fact she's got this crucial injury, and I think Serena Vigman said this week she probably wouldn't make the World Cup, which is a massive blow for for England. But it's a massive but blow. For she the got game. injured in. I don't understand. She got injured in November. Yeah, but the World Cup's only less than four months away now. No, no, but it's an ACL. Yeah. Like it would be highly unlikely that. She would be even when you recover from an ACL, you have to re-educate the knee. So even once you're back playing, it takes you. It's a nine more, month. It's it a, takes you more to yeah. get back to your level. It's a, what is it? it's a nine month injury now, isn't it? Pretty much, and that right. it, it, that rules are out for me. I mean, the, the World Cup starts in mid July, so it's it's going to be very difficult. Yeah, I, I was on these sides. Arsenal really battered Bayern. They could have scored. Yeah, amazing first goal as well. Run. Amazing first goal. And Barca are just a lot better than Roma right now, but that's no news. So Indonesia were due to host the Under Twenty World Cup, the Men's World Cup, but FIFA have announced they'll be stripping them of the tour. They have stripped them of the tournament. Uh, this is more than football, isn't it, Gab? Yeah, uh, it's funny because I read the FIFA press release, and <laughs> if I worked for FIFA comms, this is exactly how I would write the uh, uh, press release. I would write current circumstances. Yeah. Uh, I would. <laughs> I would just leave it there. Uh, the backstory to this, and people have said, oh, it's about the Indonesian stadium disaster. It's, it's not really. It mm -hmm. seems that a lot of people in and around this have said the, the issue is Israel have qualified for the Under-20 World Cup. And there's many local politicians who are on, this is a Muslim country, there's mm -hmm. a, there are some local politicians who I think are trying to make political capital mm -hmm. out of this and saying, we don't want Israel here. The governor of the, the, Bali, the yeah. Bali region yeah. coming out and saying, uh, you know, that he wasn't going to allow Israel to play in his, um, in his region. Um, all this can be fixed. I, mm -hmm. I just think the, the footballers, these are footballers, they just want to play. It's the under 20 World Cup. Mm -hmm. These are kids, right? For you to go, unless there's a serious security risk, for you to go and turn this into a political issue, and when people have been preparing for this, when local organizers have been preparing for this, putting money into it, simply because, what, you want to appeal to some people, I don't think makes any sense. It's going to move. And and it flies in the face of Infantino saying that football brings people together, doesn't it? I mean, it's... What's he supposed to say? I mean, I like I'm I I've been getting accused of being too too of defending Infantino, but when people say, well, what's he supposed to say? No, I'm saying is it what he says sometimes is, is born out to be unreal. When it'll it, bring people it, together in a when, different when part of the world. When reality hits his comments, I think we see the reality of it. I mean, Argentina have, have offered to step in to host this, but they haven't even qualified, so I'm not sure how that works. Uh, yeah, I who don't I mean, I was I think the U.S. has been mentioned as well. I mean, they're hosting another tournament too. They'll they'll, they'll find another place to do it. It's just sad. It's just sad that we're in these circumstances. Aston Villa's head of performance analysis, Victor Manas, and Arsenal's technical analyst, Miguel Molina, have been charged by the FA after their altercation in the press box when Arsenal beat Villa 4-2 in February. Um, so, okay, for those who don't know, these guys are part of the coaching staff, but they're usually the nerdy guys with the laptops, and mm. they actually sit in the press box, yeah. right? And which is denying working journalists a ticket for a game, which is one issue as well, by the way. Well, there you go. I knew you were going to grumble about this. But I think it was the, the Jorginho goal or something like that. One of them celebrated, the other one didn't like it, they got each other's faces. This is a major violation of press box etiquette where you're not allowed to cheer in the press box, right? Well, yeah, you know, I mean, look, first of all, they shouldn't be there. They, they, they shouldn't be taking media seats. And the, but the press box is for working journalists and, and, and fans will always say you're biased against this club, you support that club. 
If you're working in the press box, you're supposed to be working as a, an observer, an impartial observer, so there should be no jumping up and down and punching the air when things happen. But Which is allegedly what one of these guys did. Yeah, I think allegedly a lot worse as well. And I've, I've been in press boxes where this has happened. I, remember I was at a Champions League game at Celtic a few years ago, and I wasn't named the club involved, but it was ridiculous. They were jumping up and down, punching the air, to the point where it was causing a scene with the fans behind them. And that's part of the problem, that if you're celebrating goals or being a bit loud... And you're in the wrong part of the ground if, if you were the opposition team. Okay, but these guys are employed by a football club. Like, yeah. I don't know if Miguel Molina is we'll an Arsenal a, fan, but that's his employer. We'll create right? a space near the dugout or the bench for them to sit. Not, yeah. Don't put them in the media box where yeah. they are they, surrounded by fans generally. I, I genuinely don't understand why they're there also because every club has seats for scouts. Yeah. Um, put them there. Yeah. That's or, essentially what these guys do. You know, or, but the, the, the problem is some clubs now have massive, massive... T- teams of, of workers I mean you, you look at Man City they're, they're probably the biggest you, there's probably more staff on the pitch than players in a pre-match warm-up but they've also got a massive team of technical staff but every season as we know you go into a season the Premier League knows that all clubs have got now maybe five, six, seven, eight data analysts <laughs> build an area for them don't just, don't just plonk them in the press box near the fans and you're going to wind supporters up I just love the idea like the battle of the nerds like I don't I mean I, can, I don't know how nerdy they are in real life but they're, they're just very bright individuals but, you can't call them nerds okay. uh, Luis Enrique has spoken about his future and said he doesn't see himself in the Premier League this June. I think he left it open a little bit. Um, what does the future hold for him? I genuinely don't know. I find him to be one of the most interesting mm. people in, in football. I think he's, he's he's a very good manager in his own way. He's not the most pragmatic guy, but it but it doesn't matter. It's easy to forget that this guy, mm. you know, while people paint him as some sort of cartoonish figure, you know, he did win a treble um, with Barcelona, which not every manager has managed to do, right? Um, I don't think he'd be a good fit for the Premier League at all, personally, uh, unless he had a very specific club with a very, very specific plan. He's succeeded Pep Guardiola once, or, or the second guy after Guardiola, so would he be a good fit for Man City if Guardiola suddenly up sticks after winning the Champions League this summer? I think his... I think the way he is, unless he like learned English very quickly and mm. found a way to relate in a certain way, because I think his style is, again, quite different from Pep, so... Mm. He wouldn't be my obvious choice. I'd love to see him come yeah. somewhere, but he would really need to have the right club. More squabbles at the final whistle, this time in the women's old firm game between Celtic and Rangers. Now, the reason I bring this up is video. There's video out there. This is so weird to me. The Rangers assistant coach, who's a fellow named Craig McPherson, unsurprisingly, mm-hmm. uh, appeared to headbutt and shove the Celtic head coach, Fran Alonso, from behind. Mm-hmm. Uh they just conceded. The game finished 1-1. They, Celtic had scored in like the 98th minute or something like that. Rangers just missed a chance to make a 2-0 earlier. I get there's nerves, but mm. there's no context. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's women's football. There's no context where you go up behind somebody no. and shove them and headbutt them in the back of the head, right? No. There's, there's, okay, good. I just want to be very clear. There's on no this. defense for that. I mean, especially when the guy's like half your side. Yeah. This, this friend Alonso guy, he was interviewed afterwards yeah. um, by like the. So he's got a little rat. Well, he's a very small yeah. person. I mean, the, he's smaller than most of his players. So yeah. he just looked kind of. So, like, this is just 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 horrible thing. Yeah, yeah I mean, look. Headbutting in Glasgow is known as a Glasgow kiss, and there's certainly no affection with this one. I, this was definitely. Uh, yeah, you don't normally kiss people on the back no, of the head. No, absolutely, it, absolutely. I'm, I'm not sort of justifying it at all. Um, but yes, yeah, so the videos there. I, th- I think there is a police investigation going on now, which, unsurprisingly, considering there was a video <laughs> there. But um, I'm surprised this guy hasn't apologised. Well, I'm I'm, su- I'm surprised by the kind of the lack of public comment from Rangers. I've not seen anything yet, but maybe they're keeping their counsel until they know 
the outcome of the investigation. I think you know that's that's. But yeah, yeah I don't yeah. think an apology hurts. Yeah, whatever the investor, whatever, whatever, what are you, you going to investigate? As you were saying like, before about masters and lawyers, you know, if the yeah, lawyers get involved, but, exactly. but I agree, it, and it's it's a terrible look for. Forget it's not terrible for the women's game. It's a terrible look for the, the game and for Rangers for, for everybody. Absolutely. Really. So Feyenoord fans could be banned from the Europa League to play Rome. Um, this is a bit, a bit long dated, isn't it? This is going back a few years, but. Uh, becoming a habit with Italian clubs well so it happened with Napoli that was a different circumstance in the sense I was a local chief of police mm. here it's a national issue this goes back to when they played each other some years ago and it's not so much the hooliganism it's the fact that they went and they did millions of euros of damage yeah. to a medieval fountain mm. and when you start messing with people's artifacts mm. and stuff like that um, it takes it to a whole new level, you know. So there is an element of risk in fighting between fans. There's mm. an element of risk, as, as we saw in in Naples when Atalanta teamed up with Eintracht Frankfurt. Yeah. That you know, there's a whole bunch of these weirdos around Europe who mm. are going to say, "Oh, look, here's a chance mm. to go and have a rock," you know. And they bring in fans of other ultras from other clubs to go fight. And, um, so there's an element of that, but there's just an element that when these people traveled last time. Mm. It's not just the the, 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 the the urinating and the crapping and mm. you know in the square and somebody in a pretty nice city. It's it's the actual destruction of mm. stuff. And there's a lot of public sentiment against them. I, I think if there is a ban, mm. I think UEFA should be in a position to say we authorize the ban mm. for this and this, this and that reason. We shouldn't have another situation like before where you've got law enforcement mm. and the governing body of football coming head to head. I know the argument is, oh, if you can't stage it, you should have it in neutral ground. No, if yeah. you can't go around Europe without breaking things, maybe stay yeah. home. But the context of this, I think you're right. I think that the history justifies the ban. But I w what I wouldn't want is this to happen on a regular occasion where clubs think, well, these, this team's got a big vocal support. Let's ban them because it gives us a better advantage. I think it has to be very much on an individual basis. Yeah, no, and there has to be there has to be intel and stuff like that. When With the Eintracht, Ban. Mm. There was intel that Atalanta fans were going to come down and team up with Eintracht fans who were banned. Um, that's why they did it, mm. uh, and they were right because that's exactly what happened. So there has to be intel. You have to have evidence. You can't just do it willy nilly mm. like this. Marcelo Bielsa is in talks to take over as Uruguay coach. Good choice, Augie. Maybe better choice than Everton. You know that wouldn't have worked for it for Bielsa. But I, I don't know. I, I think Bielsa. I think I think the ship sailed. I, th I think you know he did. Well, at Leeds, instead of getting them out of the, pre uh, the, the championship, but I, th I think it's a national team job. It's different. You get to yeah, work but, with Darwin Nunez. Yeah, but you're just lumping all South American teams together, all the same qualities. No, Uruguay. Are, I think Uruguay have a different mentality to you know to Chile and to Argentina that he's, ma that he's managed before. I think Uruguay are much more. I don't know. I, I just don't think they fit with Bielsa's style. I, th I think I think Uruguay have, have their own approach. I think I think Bielsa. No, not for Uruguay. Sorry. It would be a big departure. Yeah. Real Madrid, uh, a big fan of Reese James, apparently. Does this make sense to you, Gab? Real Madrid need a right back. Um, you know, there has to be a succession plan at, at right back. And Reese James, I think, is a very good mm. attacking right back. I think a lot depends, on, a lot depends, obviously, on whether Reese James has any interest mm. in, in leaving Chelsea, which, you know, right now you could easily make the point that, especially with Mason Mount's position being up in the air. Mm. I think it does matter. It is value. If you're a guy who came through the ranks from the youth team, mm. um, he could well be, you know, their leader for for the next six, seven, eight years, right? Yeah. Um, and I don't know off the top of my head where he is contractually, but um, it's certainly if you're Real Madrid and you're making a list of the profile of right back mm. you would hope to attract, hundred percent, Reese James would be there, right? But if 
if Chelsea don't qualify for the Champions League this season or for next season, does this become an issue where it might not be Reese James's choice? Where Chelsea might need to start. Obviously, we know they've got a very big squad. They've got 33 first team players. Going to have to reduce that. Do they need to start looking at maybe selling Reese James to help balance the books, considering their massive spending spree since Sabaoli came in? Well. That is the big question. He's certainly, there's a lot of players I would sell if I were Chelsea who have a market before I sell Reese James. I don't think he's on enormous wages like others are. And, you know, uh, I mean, put it this way if Todd Bowley were to come out and say, oh, sorry, Chelsea fans, you know, <laughs> we have to sell Reese James, but look, here's Malagusto. Uh, I think yeah. people would be people would be pretty furious. So I, I don't see that happening. It wouldn't be just wouldn't be a smart move. No, it wouldn't. But you know, they got to sell some players. Augie, I gave you a little task before the show. I've avoided this subject until now, but I thought I should keep an open mind. So we asked you to swat up on the Kings League, which of course is Jared Piquet's seven-a-side league, which he set up. Uh, it's supposed to be for the next generation. They had their final at the Camp Now. They drew a sellout 92,000, more than 2 million viewers for this game on Twitch, which I think is pretty remarkable. Is this the future? Do you like it? Tell us about it. Well, you, you say you gave me a task. It was more like a punishment. I think it was, you know, look at this. And it's, um, yeah, listen, you can't knock it. There's a big audience for it. People aren't paying to watch it. They watch it on Twitch. And I think the money is being made by the, the sponsors that have been attracted to, to PK. You know, uh, watch brands, for instance, which, which he used to his advantage with the whole Shakira thing, which is quite funny. But it's a bit weird. It's a bit of a circus, to be honest. It's it's. Um, you don't like the gimmicks, like getting the owners to take penalties and like the wearing, goals worth twice. Mystery players wearing masks, that sort of thing. No, no. Listen, but I can't knock it if there's an audience for it. I think if, if, if young people are thinking it's entertaining, you know, my lad is is a teenager. He he's watched it a little bit. I don't think he's a massive fan of it, but he's aware. Did you of it. make him do it? <laughs> Had he heard of it before? He had heard of it, yeah. Oh, he was right. surprised that I was asking. It was like, you know, why are you asking this old man? You know? <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't think it's the future. I think it's obviously got a, a little bit of a niche, but it's it's different, and it's it it's almost like turning the game on its head in the sense that it's 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 taking it doesn't take itself very seriously. Obviously, you know, it's it's just. It's football, but not as we know it, shall we say. I, I think you're coalescing a lot of brands, all our social media following. In fact, Neymar supposedly will, will they made this ad where, like, you know, where, where Neymar, like, sort of, uh, he's going to own a team next year. They had their clever campaign to show how, like, Neymar acquired a team. Yeah. Like, I mean, but, it's different, more power to them. But I, as we I, know, you said Florentino Perez has, has suggested that fans aren't. Okay, let's not go back and back spending. Over they're, the not, head. they're not prepared to watch a 90 minute game. And it's, this is probably taking it to an extreme of condensing it down to a much smaller level. Yeah. But, uh, it's not something that I'd go out of my way to watch, but, you know, I'd, I'd try it for, okay. you know, for the experience. Anyway, talking of Neymar, didn't he lose a million euros playing poker? This is really funny how... I'm just bringing this up because uh, uh, the mainstream media, we... And, 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 and we curmudgeon. Do your freaking research, right? So Neymar puts out a video of himself. I think it might have even been live and, like, he's playing... He's pretending he's playing poker on, uh, online, supposedly pretending or not with real money, as we now know. And then he's crying and stuff. Oh my God, I just lost a million euros, blah, blah, blah. What are we going to do? Which, you know, it occurred to me that based on how much money Neymar makes a year, mm. um, that's still a good chunk of change, right? It would still hurt us if we lost proportionally, right? Um, but then, of course, he didn't really. None of it is real. It turns out that, you know, this was all just. Uh, a publicity ploy for this online gaming company that he's involved in. I don't have a problem with it, but guys, do we really think Neymar 
is so sad, so much of a sado that he's going to go and gamble away a million euros online, film himself doing it, and then cry on camera. But like this is Neymar. This is Neymar, isn't it? None of it's real with Neymar. It just all seems a little bit, you know, what is real and what isn't. What, what is truth and what is fiction with Neymar? We just don't know. And it's it's a shame that if this great talent that he has, if he's remembered for all the the jokey stuff and pretending to lose a million euros on on poker. I just wish I could remember him for playing football and winning some trophies, which Stop he did, it. which he's he gonna, did. He's going to break Pele's goal-scoring record, and that's really going to impress you as well. How many penalties are taking? Exactly. <laughs> right, uh, that brings us to an end. Augie, thank you so much for uh, stepping in in Jules's absence. Uh, we're going to be back on Monday because it's massive. Dare Classicer, folks. Look out for it. And, of course, uh, love the game. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. Real quick, what's the easiest choice you can make? Window seat over middle, taco Tuesday over salad. What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash gab jewels, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash gabjewels now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash gabjewels.